Amen. Today we're in part three, our final uh, part of this series called Basics. And this series has basically been reconnecting with our core values. I mentioned in the first week that everybody has core values. You may not have written them down, but you have them. If you're curious about them, go look at your check register. Go look at your on. Nobody has a check register anymore. I do. But online, your online statement, your credit card statement, go look and you'll find quickly what you value the most. Um, I'm embarrassed to say probably Dunkin' Donuts and food are like two of my top things, but uh, uh, those are core values for me. I don't know about you, but uh, you'll know. You'll know quickly. But when it comes to the church, we need to not just teach about these things once or twice and let it be gone. We've got to revisit these things. They're fundamental to our vision and to our mission. Our mission is to make disciples, amen? Any local church, their mission should be to make disciples of Jesus. If you go to a church and they have a different mission, it's not a church. It's a social gathering. It's a country club, maybe, but it's not a church. Making disciples is our mission. And then our specific vision is on the wall out there, connecting people to their God-given purpose, connecting your kids to their purpose, connecting your teenagers to their purpose. And so these core values propagate and support the mission and the vision. And so they're fundamental. It's like playing a sport. You don't, you don't learn how to catch a ball and never practice catching again. You don't, if you play an instrument, you don't learn your scales and never go over them again and practice them again. You have to go back constantly. They're important because it's important to me that you know these things if you belong to New Life. That if somebody talks to you about our church, that you're able to answer and say, this is why I feel like New Life is a special gathering. That this is why I go to this church because they value these things and be able to lay them out. So let's say them together. They're on the screen. Let's say it together. Worship. Word, walk, and witness. One more time. Worship, word, walk, and witness. Now, if you're a guest with us today, um, which on winter break is unlikely, but maybe there's some here today, um, this is a perfect series for you to be in. You're going to find out you know, exactly what we're about. I mean, I can't think of a better sermon or series to get in on if you're a guest here today uh, to learn about our church and what we're all about. So, If you'll go back and watch the first two sermons, you'll be able to hear the other core values uh, because we're on the last one today. But in week one, we talked about the core value of worship. And I have to admit, as a previous worship pastor, I'm a little biased on this one. I really, worship is so, so important. It's one of my favorite subjects in all the Bible to teach about. But it's also foundational to our faith. Amen? We were created to worship God. If you're curious or wondering or foggy about why you were on this planet, you're like, what's, what's my calling? I can't figure it out. Well, if you can't do anything else or you can't figure else any, anything else out, worship the Lord. We are called to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. We have a void in us. We've been created with a void that can only be filled when we are worshiping our Heavenly Father. It's a powerful thing. Last week we talked about word and walk, our second and our third core value. Word deals with the importance of living our lives in obedience to the word of God. I talked about it being like our plumb line. 
like a, like a, a builder uses to make sure, or a block mason or a brick mason uses to make sure they are building straight. It's, it's, it's a standard for living. It doesn't change and shift, come on somebody, with the whims of culture. Our world is turned upside down. We need the standard of the Word of God to understand how to live what's right and wrong. And so that's what the Word is about. In our core values, Word is also about solid biblical preaching. Not preaching my opinion. Not preaching the, the latest bestseller from the most popular pastor that's out there. Biblical preaching. The whole counsel of the Word of God, not using this pulpit for politics. I'll just let that sit for a second. But preaching the Word of God and letting it fall, and then you have to decide what to do with it and how to live and how to vote and do all those things that we do. And then walk emphasizes forward movement. We talked about movement being so important, not getting stagnant in our relationship with Christ, making sure we're growing and moving towards Christ and being used by Him, not uh, stopping ever in our relationship with Him. And that comes through discipleship, discipline, discipleship, spiritual formation. So today we're going to cover our final core value, and that is witness. Everybody say witness. Witness. Let's pray one more time. Father... Thank you for your word. I pray right now that you would anoint it, that you would get me out of the way, and that you would speak to our hearts and let it become prophetic and powerful. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I'm excited about this teaching today, not because I haven't taught it before. I've taught about our core value witness before, but every time you open the word, that's what I love about the word. It's like there's something new. There's a different angle. There's something fresh because it's alive. It's active. And, and I love, and God has kind of put some new things and some new angles in my spirit. It's a simple message today, but sometimes simple is best. Amen? Only three of you agree with that. I'll try to go deeper then. Um, now, first let me describe about what, how the core value relates to the church. And as we move into the, the sermon and towards the end, we're going to funnel it down to you. How are you to be a witness in this world for Christ? So the fourth Core value witness is only possible if the first three core values we talked about are working properly. Let me say that again. Our witness core value is only possible if the other ones are working and healthy. Let me, let me say it like this. Look at the screen. There is no witness without worship. There is no witness without the word. And there is no witness without a walk. Our witness core value, I need you to hear this, is an overflow. It's the natural, organic, spiritual overflow of the first three core values working in a healthy manner. Witness is all about what happens out there, right? But our faith will never be effective out there unless it is built up in here through worship. Our knowledge of the word will be lacking out there if we never study it in here. And our spiritual immaturity could disqualify us out there if, if we don't grow and develop our walk with Christ in here. Now, I'm not talking about just, when I say in here, I'm not talking about bricks and mortar. I'm not talking about a building. 
We are the body of Christ. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. You did not get saved to go to church. You got saved to become the church. Everywhere you are. Everywhere you are. We're the temples of the Holy Spirit. Luke says, and actually Jesus, he's quoting Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, but you, point to somebody and say he's talking about you. Don't you love those awkward moments preachers do? It's, it's a prerequisite for our job. We have to do those in every service, okay? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon who? You, or say me. And you will be my, here's our word, witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In our context, he's saying everywhere. Listen, again, the witness core value is an overflow of the other three. And you cannot be a witness for the Spirit of God if you are not led by the Spirit of God. Now, as it pertains to our ministry, this core value in New Life Church, the witness core value includes our outreach programs, and it includes our mission trip endeavors all around the world and in the United States. Every month, our community serve team serves faithfully to minister to our community, people in need in our community, to feed them. Uh, it's led by two of our elders, Sean Woodall and Eddie Jordhoy. They gather here one Saturday a month and they prepare food boxes. They prepare a hot lunch. They, they also pray with people. We've had people saved in these outreaches. Whole families are given food for a month. Can we just give it up for that team right now? Can we just give it up for our community serve team? They do an awesome job. That would be considered our Judea. It's our community. It's right here. And then every Christmas, we do a mission to the Appalachian Mountains of Kentucky. It's one of the poorest regions in our country. And whole families, thousands of people come to this event. And we partner with other churches to do this. It's not just us. But they're given Christmas gifts, toys. They're given clothes and shoes and coats and a warm meal and food for the holidays. It's a beautiful, some of you go on that trip every year, and it's a huge blessing. If you haven't been, you need to go. That also falls under our, our core value of witness. We've been involved twice on mission trips to the Northeast in New England to support my brother-in-law as a missionary up there and a pastor up there. The New England area is a black hole spiritually. It's the least Christianized area of our country. And we've been up there and we're going to go again to support him. Globally, we've been on the ground in Panama, Thailand. I'm going back to Thailand in, in April. Uh, we've been in Israel and Pakistan. And we continue to support Pastor Sammy in Pakistan every single month, paying the full rent for his Christian school in the fourth most persecuted country for Christians in the world. In the world. It's unbelievable. North Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq, and then Pakistan. And we're supporting there. We are on the ground there. It's unbelievable what God is doing. Another door is open this year. I've been asked to speak at a pastor's leadership conference in Germany this fall. Uh, I'm having the incredible honor of speaking into the lives of pastors 
And just like in New England, it's like a black hole, the whole European Union has become a black hole. Now, I know United States, we've gone downhill spiritually, but it's not even close to what's happening in Europe. They've completely just been closed off to the gospel. They've come, become cold to the word of God and to the gospel. And so we're gonna, I'm going to have a chance to speak life and encourage these young pastors that are trying to make a difference. And we are believing for a mighty move of God in Europe in these areas. Come on. I am currently developing New Life's first missions board. And they're going to help pray about, plan, and lead. Everybody say lead future trips because folks I am one person and I can't lead every trip and you are my priority I only go on so many trips a year because that is not my priority you are I've watched great men of God who made going more of a priority than pastoring when they were pastoring and and, and it wasn't pretty it was it did not work out well because they got out of their lane come on somebody so I need a mission. I need people who have a heart to go, to pray, to give. Any of those things, and I'm putting that together even now. Matter of fact, I've got a date. I'm not going to share it yet, but I've got a date for our first meeting in March. And so can we give God praise in advance for what that's going to mean for our church and missions? Come on. So I call this whole model of ministry, worship word walk, bleeding over, overflowing out into witness, I call this an inside out philosophy. Inside out. Now, what I have to tell you is that's kind of opposite from most church models today in the United States. It's like completely, you know, time will tell to see whether I'm crazy or not, okay? Um, I don't think so, but maybe. But most churches are doing everything they can to get people from outside in. It's a popular saying, we'll do anything short of sinning to get people in the door. And that's like, ooh, it sounds right. It sounds good. Big events, big show, big entertainment, big money spent on getting people, basically doing whatever it takes to get people in the door. Just get them in, if we can just get them in the door, we'll spend it all. Just get them in the door and then we'll share the gospel. But let me tell you the problem with that. If you get people in with entertainment, you have to keep them in with more entertainment. And it works to gather a crowd. You can spend enough money, you can hire enough professionals, you can market enough and gather a crowd. But what are you going to do with them? How are you going to keep them? It's exhausting to think about. All right, now, but the inside-out philosophy says focus on spending resources on you. The people who God has already brought in, the people who are already bought into the vision and the plan, building you up, training you up to go out and touch your circle of influence and reach your friends and neighbors and co-workers and all of these people for the gospel of Jesus Christ, people that I'll never meet, that I have no influence with. I'm going to go with that one. I want to train you up to go out, inside out. Does that make any sense? 
But the problem with this one, not the problem, the challenge, is that this philosophy takes a huge commitment from everyone. Not just the pastor. It doesn't just rest on a really, really, really talented pastor, speaker, and professional musicians. It's not just about the staff. It's not just about a few volunteers that help. It's about everyone. And the, the, the issue in the United States with that is that most Christians in the United States just want to come and sit. Once, twice, maybe, maybe three times a month and just receive and go about their business. That's the model. That's, that's what most people are doing. And so it's a challenge. Now, I'm not suggesting that we never do attractional ministry, that we never spend money on marketing, that we never do big events. Easter's coming. That's a time, you guarantee, I'm going to spend some money in making sure people know about New Life Church because people are going to go to church on, on Easter. People are going to go to church at Christmas. So, yeah, we're going to do a few of those things and spend some money on that, but it's not all about that. And listen, here's the deal. I'm not throwing, I want everybody to hear this. I'm not throwing stones at any ministry or any model. I learned a long time ago not to throw rocks at ministers or ministry that are trying to do something for God. Amen? I'm not going to do that, but I'm not pastoring those churches. And I can't look to those models. Guess where I have to look? The New Testament. I have to look to the New Testament, not to the latest model in ministry. And for me, okay, the way I read the Bible, the way I read and study the New Testament, I don't see an outside in. I see inside out. I see Jesus picking 12 men and pouring his life into them for, oh, I feel, for three years. Pouring everything into them for three years so that they can then go out and change the world in his name. You say, Pastor, wait a minute. Um, what about the crowds? There were huge crowds that followed Jesus. There were huge crowds. There were miracles. There was all this stuff. Let me give you a scripture that pulls the curtain back so that we can kind of see exactly how Jesus worked in these environments. Look, look back at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. One day he saw the crowds. Everybody say crowds. There were crowds there. Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Who's the them? Now Jesus invited anyone and would let anyone gather around as he taught his disciples. And they did. He didn't mind. Whoever would gather around, he let come in and listen and benefit from his teaching. And often his teaching was in parables, stories, illustrations. But most of the time, if you study the word, you, you realize he didn't explain the parables in the crowd. He waited until he got alone with his disciples to explain it to them in private. Because he was focused on them. He was focused on them. Now, as he would teach, the crowds came and they got bigger. And here's what happened. He would have compassion on the crowds. And then the miracles 
would follow. And as the miracles followed, the crowds got bigger and bigger because who wouldn't want to come see a miracle worker? Who wouldn't want to come and get healed? Who wouldn't want to come and see a miracle take place? But his focus was not on that. His focus was not on the, the, was, was on the people that were following him, his disciples. His focus was not on the crowd. His focus was not on numbers. How do I know? <laughs> because as his message got harder, as the level of commitment went up in his messages, when he said things like, you must deny yourself, you must deny your hopes and your dreams and your preferences and take up your cross and follow me if you want to be my disciple. When he said things like, love your enemy as yourself, when he started turning tradition on its head, they started leaving in droves. Come on. The crowd started leaving, but he wasn't focused on that. He was focused on his disciples. Because he knew that after his death and resurrection, the key to this whole thing would rest on them. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. Look at the screen. The key to our witness core value is not having more bells and whistles to get people in here. It's training you to reach them out there. Come on. Hallelujah. I know that's not popular. If you're a guest here, you need to hear this right up front. This is the focus. This is the focus. I just, I don't see it. Maybe you see it a different way. I don't see it any other way in the New Testament. From Jesus to Paul to Peter to James to John, any of them, I see inside out. I see equipping and sending. Say that with me. Equipping and sending. Say it again. Equipping and sending. That's what I see. Now, I can't tell you how thankful I am for the people who are getting saved in these altars every single week. I'm blown away. It is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you an argument that I had with God? Anybody ever argue with God? It's, it's kind of fruitless, but we do it anyway. One of the arguments I had with God before I became a senior pastor was, Lord, you know I'm not a good evangelist. That's not my gift. Lord, I'm an equipping. I, I like to teach about the, the doctrine and what we need to do and discipleship and, and what, you know, how we need to adjust our life and how we need to discipline ourselves. And that's me. And, 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 and he's just like, are you finished? Just let me know. And then he'd be like, go ahead and preach your equipping message, Pastor Allen. He didn't call me Pastor you preach your equipping message, but every time you just give them the opportunity to repent. You give them the opportunity to receive me and I'll take care of the rest. And he certainly has with over 200 people saved in these altars last year. It blows my mind, y'all. I want to close with some thoughts on what it means for you. We talked about the church. What, what this core value of witness means to the church, missions, outreach, all those things. But I want to talk about what it means for you to be a witness for Jesus Christ personally out there. Did you just get a little bit nervous? <laughs> I know. 
That's how we are as Christians. Most Christians get really squirmy and nervous about sharing their faith or the Bible or Jesus with anyone. They're, they're, they're a, a stranger, let alone a friend. Pastor, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about this stuff to, to be confident enough to share about it. I'm going to come off like an idiot. I'm going to sound like a, an idiot because they're going to be start asking questions. They're going to push back. And I'm not going to have any answers or the right answers. Probably. But I want to share with you a couple of examples of great witnesses that knew a lot less than you do. Let's look at John chapter 4. Got a couple stories here quickly. This is the woman at the well. We talked about her a couple of weeks ago in our worship sermon. Now, this is the end of the conversation. This is right after Jesus said, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is right after that statement. The woman said, verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Folks, look at me. She knew less than you. She did not even realize she was speaking to the Messiah. We know who he is. And he said, Jesus told her, I am. The Messiah. I love the reference to the Old Testament there. The capital A-M. You understand? That's what, when God met with Moses in the, in the wilderness, and he's telling Moses what to do, and Moses is finally like, hold up, who are you? What is your name? And God said, I am that I am. And Jesus said, I am the Messiah. Come on, somebody. That's exciting to me. I love it. Verse 27 Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Not just a woman, but a Samaritan woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? It's a good thing they didn't. I think he might have body slammed them because he's like, have you not learned anything? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man. Say that with me. Come and see a man. Say it again. Come and see a man. If you want to be a witness for Jesus Christ, that's all you have to do is say, come and see a man. Hallelujah. Who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Could he be the one? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Skip to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because... The woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. What did she tell them? Did she give them a sermon with three points and a poem and, a, and, a, and, a, and an illustration? Did she break down the Greek and the Hebrew? No. All she did was tell them what she saw. All she did was tell them what she experienced. Come and see a man. Nothing more, nothing less. One more story. John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. birth. Verse 6. Then Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Woo! He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Verse 8, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was and the others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, y'all, it's me. It's me. 
Now, you would think everyone would want to party with this guy, right? They had all seen him for years. You would think they would be excited for him and want to celebrate with him. Not so. Because the Pharisees found out. The Pharisees were these Jewish leaders, very influential, very wealthy. They're the ones that followed Jesus around everywhere, making trouble. Eventually, they're the ones that caused him uh, to go to the cross. And they found out he healed this man on the Sabbath. Jesus, don't you know you can't change somebody's life on the Sabbath? Come on, get it together. You ought to know this. Skip to verse 17. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who'd been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, "Um, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe that the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. Everybody look at me. When you are a witness for Jesus Christ, I don't care how compelling you are or how anointed you are, there will always be people who will not believe. And that is not on you. That is not your responsibility. You can't make anybody believe in Jesus. So his parents come in and they're like, it's him. Now leave us alone. He's a grown man. He can answer for himself. Now, you would think above any group of people, his parents would have wanted to celebrate. I know if one of my girls had been blind from birth and then been touched and healed, I would be throwing a party. Any parents say amen in the house? Come on, that would be huge. They were so bound by fear of the Jewish leaders that they couldn't even celebrate. Folks, listen to me. Don't let fear keep you from telling people what Jesus has done in your life. Don't let fear keep you from being a witness. Don't let fear rob you of the blessing that it is to share your faith. I'm no longer a slave fear. Come on. I'm not going to sing. I was in the wrong key, evidently. It happens to all of us. All right. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. (laughs) I love this response. I don't know if he's a sinner or not, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, but now I can see. He's like, look, I, I don't have it all worked out. I don't have it all worked out. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see. All I know is that I was a beggar for all these years. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't work. I couldn't supply. But now I can get a job. Now I can have some worth and do something on my own. I was this way and now I'm. that's all I know. That's all I know. The woman at the well and the blind man, listen, were both powerful witnesses for Jesus Christ. Lives were changed forever because of their testimony but neither one was a scholar. Come on. Neither one was a theologian. Neither one was in ministry. Come on. It was the opposite end of the spectrum. They were on the bottom. A Samaritan woman and a blind beggar. And yet they were both used powerfully as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now I'm finished, but let me share with you what God dropped recently into my spirit about witness, about what it means. I want you to hear this, to be a witness. Look at the screen. A witness is only responsible to share what they have seen and experienced. 
That's it. Can I, I'm just going to let that sink in just a second. A witness is only responsible to share what they have seen and experienced. If you're a material witness in the court of law, they typically don't want you making things up on the stand. They frown upon you adding or taking away from anything that you actually saw or experienced. So when you're sharing your faith with someone and they begin to argue with you, they begin to push back with you, they begin to even make fun of you, you don't have to prove anything. You don't have to conjure up some theological word that you don't understand and try to come up and and, and explain the Greek or the Hebrew or anything. You don't have to prove anything. The burden of proof is not on the witness. Come on, somebody. I think that's going to hit you on the way home, and then you're going to rejoice. And maybe have just be careful with your driving, because that's bigger than what you clapped. The burden of proof is not on you. All you have to do is share what you know, and he will take care of the rest. You can be like like the blind man and say, look, I I don't have all the details worked out. I don't have all the, the Hebrew and the Greek worked out. I don't have the whole Bible memorized. All I know is that I'm not the same person that I was. All I know is that I was blind, but now I can see. I was an alcoholic, but now I've been set free. I was a drug addict, but now I'm clean. I was this, but now I'm that. All I know is that it's real. It's real. It's real. It's real. Come and see a man. Come and see a man. Kathy and uh, Rachel and myself were at a Braves game a few months back. We were there to support Bronco, who won the uh, Community uh, Person Award or whatever for his benevolent foundation. They were recognizing him down on the field, so we wanted to be there to support him. And you know the new stadium is awesome, and, and they have all the restaurants and stuff out there. So we were at a restaurant before the game. We were eating, and we noticed this waitress was just off. It was bad service, terrible service. And she was just kind of mean, you know. <laughs> Have you ever had, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Just, she did not want to be there. And so my initial response in the flesh was like, this is ridiculous. Come on. And then I think it was Rachel, actually. I was like, Dad, I think something's wrong. And we began to notice then that there was, there was something underneath just being upset and angry. Something was wrong. And so when she came back, I didn't lay my hands on her. Woo! I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't start some crazy super. The light from heaven didn't shine. Nothing, none of that. I said, hey, are you okay? Tears. Again, I didn't make a scene. I said, hey, listen, I mean, tears. She couldn't even talk. Still to this day, I don't even really know what was happening. All I know is she, 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 the, the dam broke. And I said, hey, we know Jesus. We, we love the Lord. We're Christians. Can we pray for you? And we prayed for her, and that was it. But that was a testimony. And who knows the seed? I know there was a seed planted, and that's all But here's the deal. We have to have our spiritual antennas up. We can't be so focused on ourselves 
like I was. And then Rachel kind of, you know, Dad, I think something's wrong. Rachel had her spiritual antennas up. Here's what we have to do. Look at the screen. We've got to pray for opportunity. I promise you, if you pray this in the morning, some of you know this is true. You've done it. If you pray in the morning, Lord, give me the opportunity to minister the gospel, to help somebody, to minister to somebody, that's a prayer he's going to answer. But here's the deal. You have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit. You've got to have those spiritual antennas up to know what the Holy Spirit is doing in somebody's life or in, in your heart in order to jump on that opportunity and not let it slip by. How many opportunities slip by us every single day because we're focused on ourselves and what we're doing? How many? I mean, it's scary to think about, isn't it? Look at the big idea. We are all called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, full of his Holy Spirit. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. He will equip each and every one of us. And don't forget... All you are responsible for is to share what he's done in you and for you.